0: Howdy. Welcome to The Extra Point. I am X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, a.k.a. Ethan Tate, a.k.a. the next basketball player to sign a 10-day contract with the NBA team. How you doing today, Ethan?
1: I'm good. How you
0: doing? I'm all right. I'm tired. I've been traveling all day. Just got back to St. Louis a couple hours ago, and I just need to be in bed. So, for the holidays, we have a treat for you guys. We are going to talk which a head coaching candidate should replace urban meyer down in jacksonville we're going to talk the current state of the nba with so much COVID covid cases taking place what should the nba do and then we're going to end the show with the conversation of did lebron really ruin basketball as suggested by iman shumpert but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the xreport.net rp the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow x report writers Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, kicking things off as we normally do with the college football player spotlight, this week it is going to show some love to the running backs, more specifically Michigan State junior running back Kenneth Walker III. Despite uh, having his best season as a Spartan, he did play it for Wake Forest his first couple of years. But this year, as I mentioned, was a great one. Uh, rushed for over 1,646 yards and 18 touchdowns and 264 carries. And even received the Doak Walker Award, which recognized the best running back in the nation. Even I know that over the last few years it seems like running back has been a bit devalued especially in terms of being a first round pick so question one do you think he goes in the first round and if so where do you think he ends up
1: um honestly I don't think he's going to end up in the first round if I well let me preface it by this if he ends up in the first round it will be a later pick maybe like around the 25 to 30 range of a pick.
0: Kind of like the Najee um, Harris range.
1: Yeah. Where do I think he could go? Um, We got a lot of options. I would say, you know, the Houston Texans, they're always a, a viable option because they just need talent in every position. They feel like they need talent all around their team. <laughs> um, but if I'm going to say a team, I actually might say the, uh, the Miami Dolphins. I know that they have Miles Gaskins, but he hasn't been that he hasn't been that great since he's been in Miami. And I think that you know the type of team that they have built up. They have a strong defense, and like they haven't fully given the reins to tool for the offense, even though he's looked pretty good the second half of this season. But I could see him ending up somewhere like in Miami.
0: I think Miami would be a nice pick. Um, with regards to him ending up in the first round. It's weird, because I don't think that this is going to be a year that quarterbacks are just going to fly off the board, so we could see a lot of quarterbacks getting taken late, which could kind of um, change where he would eventually end up. Also, this is a very good defensive class, so I don't know. Um, The one team that I think that, if they were going to pull a trigger on a running back in the first round, I think it would be the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, while we know that Austin Eckler is very dynamic and a very versatile player, in terms of being a pure running back, he is not that guy. He's not somebody who's just going to go through the numbers and just pound it out to give you a 100-yard rushing game. That's not his game. If anything, most of his yardage is going to come through the air, which is great. But sometimes you just need somebody to help change the pace of the defense, get the ball out of Justin Herbert's hands, and create opportunities like like that. I think that with what we've seen from Kenneth Walker, he's somebody who could definitely do that and help make the Chargers offense more lethal. But outside of them, I can't really say I think there's another team that would take a running back in the first round. But I think there's no dispute that he's going to be the first running back off the board. Like and it's going to be a bit before the next one is taken. But, all right, let's go ahead and look back at NFL Week 15, starting with Thursday Night Football. Kansas City Chiefs get revenge on the Los Angeles Chargers in overtime, 34-18. Colts upset the Patriots on Saturday, 27-17. Texans defeat the Jags, 30-16. Lions pull off a big upset against the Arizona Cardinals, 30-12. Packers beat my Ravens, 31-30. Buffalo Bills beat the Carolina Panthers 31-14. Steelers defeat the Tennessee Titans 19-13. Miami Dolphins beat the Jets. 31-24. Cowboys beat Giants, 21-6. Bengals edge out the Broncos, 15-10. 49ers beat up the Falcons, 31-13. Saints shut out the Bucks on Sunday Night Football, 9-0. And on Monday, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders defeated the depleted Cleveland Browns, 16-14. The Minnesota Vikings defeated the uh, Chicago Bears in the ugly one 17 to 9. And then on Tuesday, the Rams beat the Seahawks 20 to 10, and the Eagles defeated the Washington football team 27 to 17. Both of us went 11 and 5 this past week, so not too bad in terms of predictions. Ethan, in your opinion, what are the top 3 takeaways of this past week of action? Top 3 takeaways are
1: um I think this is obvious, but I think this is a repeat of last year. As far as COVID is concerned, this is a, I think a lot of people fail to realize that this is a cold weather virus. And that last season, once it hit the winter years and the winter season in the NFL, that's when COVID struck rampant across the league. I think that's gonna play a pivotal role throughout the remainder of this season and maybe heading into the Super Bowl. It might play a pivotal role. Um, Number one, um, I mean, not number one, number two, man. It sucks to be Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, cause I didn't watch the game, but I watched the, I watched a bit of the portion of the end and like the last play. uh throughout the highlights, and I have no issues with him going for two. My question was the play call and which he used to go for two.
0: That's fair. I
1: know, like. I've never been a fan of flooding one side of the field. They all flooded to the right side. I never understand why coaches do that. I think that was a horrible decision. But it was too heartbreakers between with that and the Steelers, where they both went for two, and the Steelers one I think was more heartbreaking because if you, if Mark Andrews would have caught the ball, that would have been a that would have for sure been a conversion that y'all would have won that game. Definitely. And. And number one, Jonathan Taylor my MVP. I, I know. I know he probably won't actually win the award, but in my in my mind, he's the MVP of the season.
0: That is a bad man right there. Yeah, it's. Not just for Coach Hards, it's it's rough. But, I mean, like you mentioned, I totally understand the reason for going for two. Do you really want to see Aaron Rodgers in overtime? We've seen what he's been able to do to our depleted secondary, even without using a lot of Devontae Adams because he's been double or triple teamed all game. I understand it, and especially because it's not like that loss totally kicks us out of playoff contention. I mean, it's really the only right call. But, yeah, we'll definitely get to um, – Jonathan Taylor, in a second, but yeah, as always, you can check out the export.net for all of my takeaways from this past week of action. But let's look at some injury news, starting with the Cleveland Browns in defensive end Tack McKinley for the rest of the year with the ACL tear. Um, the Bucks are hit hard. Leonard Fournette and Levante David are expected to miss the rest of the season with respective uh, lower body injuries. And Chris Godwin is done for the year after tearing his ACL. And then for the Giants, they decide to shut down Daniel Jones for the rest of the season with a neck injury. We'll kind of get to the Bucks, especially like Chris Godwin injury, a bit later. But looking at Daniel Jones, do you – You think that he has started his last game as a New York Jockey?
1: Most definitely. I think that his time was up maybe two games ago, honestly, in my opinion. He, I think the Giants, they made an incredible reach taking him in that draft. I think on film, he had some tools that they thought might have translated to the NFL. But he was playing in a lower level. Um... He was playing in lower-level football as far as the ponies and I think it showed once he got to the, big, to the big games.
0: Yeah, I think that especially him coming out of Duke, I think a big reason why they did pull the trigger on him is because he did have a game that was kind of comparable to Peyton – I'm not Peyton – Eli Manning. But the problem is he had a game comparable to Eli Manning. Eli Manning, take away those two Super Bowls, he was not exactly the most remarkable quarterback for New York – but and I think that that's pretty much what they kind of signed up for hoping to get some of that Super Bowl lust that they did with Eli and it's just not happening I mean Daniel Jones in my opinion has been one of the worst quarterbacks time and time out and truthfully this year would probably been the year for me that I would have decided to move on so I agree with you I think he's worn out his welcome a bit and I think that if uh, Joe Judge wants to continue his job as the head coach of the New York Giants, a lot of changes have to be made, starting with quarterback. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. But, all right, here is the playoff picture, starting with the AFC um, Conference. So, Chiefs got the number one seed at 10-4, followed by the New England Patriots. Tennessee Titans and with well, Baltimore's loss and their win, the Cincinnati Bengals currently hold that fourth seed. Wild cards as of right now. The Indianapolis Colts are the fifth seed. Los Angeles Chargers are the sixth seed. And the Buffalo Bills are that seventh seed with Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers looking in. So let's kind of just talk about our divisions and kind of the threat level we feel. So starting with your uh, Tennessee Titans, You got the Indianapolis Colts on your heels. On a level, scale of one to ten, how worried are you that the Colts are going to overtake you guys to win the AFC South?
1: I'll say maybe a six. I think the only reason I say a six is because I think we still have, I don't know how many games ahead we are, but I do think it's a couple games ahead and we're reaching the latter portion of the season. Yeah, and I think that we do have a couple of games left on the schedule that we can actually win. Like, I could predict this winning a game tonight against the 49ers and giving us a little bit more of a cushion. So, i would probably say like five to six range.
0: Honestly, for me, our next closest threat is the Cincinnati Bengals. And I would say I'm about a, I'm going to say a seven. And I'm going to say a seven because for the biggest reason, we all know injuries. Injuries are going to play a big role, especially in a game like this where we're going up against an offense that had its way with us when our when we had our best corner on the field. And I think that this game is a must win. The Packers game, you lost, but at least it's not a conference loss. But you have to beat the Bengals to one, one, regain the top spot, and two, keep yourself afloat, even if you have to vie for that wild card positioning. So honestly, I would say an eight, especially because the Bengals have been looking good. I mean, Joe Burrow has looked like the best quarterback in the AFC North. Jamar Chase has been doing his thing. Their defense has stepped up tremendously. Um, especially considering how they've been the last few years so I'm like I'm like a seven or an eight I wish I could say I, I was a little bit lower than that but all right so let's go ahead and give our most uh impressive disappointing and rookie of the week starting with my most impressive player I gotta show some love to Ravens quarterback Tyler Huntley I mean When was the last time a backup quarterback went blow for blow with Aaron Rodgers? He did a tremendous job in just what his second career start, scored four touchdowns, two through the air, two on the ground, kept Baltimore in the game, because I remember when we were down two scores, I was like, well, that may be it, but Tyler Huntley came on the field and just easily brought the Ravens back upfield to score twice, so I was really impressed by his performance.
1: This past Sunday, he he put the team on his back when they needed him most, in my opinion, and he stepped up major to get to deliver the same W.
0: You talking about uh, Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, yeah that that last touchdown was that was nice because they were playing. It seemed like they were kind of playing to lose until that last touchdown. All right, moving on to who I was most disappointed by. It's rare that I get to say this, but Tom Brady. I was very disappointed in TB twelve. I mean, had a rough night, got shut out for the first time since 2006. 26-48 of 48 passed and threw a pick, fumbled because he was trying to get cute with the ball. I mean, it was a very unceremonious Tom Brady game. And I know that we talk about Father Tom is undefeated, and Tom Brady's been able to fight him off. But it's something about playing New Orleans where Father Tom always gets the best of
1: him. I'm actually in the view as well with was Tom Brady. Um, yeah, he just... Their offense just looked bad overall this past. It's past Sunday. And like you said, the Saints, whatever they do, it's like they have a, game, a great game plan against bridge and it works every time.
0: Yeah. The thing is, it's not even like their offense just went crazy. Like, they scored nine points. Like, it was not an offensive showing. It's just their defense had a tremendous game plan. All right, in my rookie of the week, I'm going to show some love to Amon Ross, St. Brown, wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. He's really been coming on over the last few weeks. Um, and just this past week had a really nice game against the Cardinals secondary. Eight catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. I think that for years to come, he's really going to be the guy in Detroit, which I know it's not saying too much because it's Detroit, but even still, he's been a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, for me, my rookie of the week is you know, Mister Demarcus. You, I'm trying. I'm about to look up his stats now. He only had a catch. Yeah, on he he only had
0: had, one catch. He
1: only had one catch. Wow, I'm, I'm lacking. Um,
0: you get so used to him having good games. I get yeah. it. If he only want to have and one I, catch against us this week, I'm cool.
1: And I really didn't get a chance to like watch any games or do anything just because of. And I thought I heard he had a breakout game. Let me find another rookie first.
0: Yeah, no, nah, he. Um, uh, it honestly was a slow day for the Bengals offense in general. The biggest play was that uh 56 yard touchdown to Tyler Boyd. I was in the fourth quarter, third or fourth quarter. I mean, there's another good old old reliable one could always throw. Um, Michael Parsons into the mix just because he's was I- so good. <laughs>
1: That's why I was honestly my next source, wanted to be Michael Parsons because like, this man is a freaking major, and I think he might actually use some love for defensive player, even the way he's been playing.
0: I mean, I think that he would definitely. My stance on it has changed over the last couple of weeks. If he was to get it, I wouldn't be mad just because he's really been great. I know that Trayvon Diggs got his 10th interception, which is impressive, but I don't think that really anybody can – there's not much of an argument that Micah Parsons is the best defensive player on the Dallas Cowboys right now. But all right, so – Moving on, let's go ahead and look at that NFC playoff picture. We talked about um the AFC already, but number one seed and kind of entrenching it, the Green Bay Packers with eleven and three record. Number two will be the Dallas Cowboys, three Tampa Bay Buccaneers, four Arizona Cardinals, um, and then wild card spots five the Los Angeles Rams uh next up would be the san francisco 49ers at six and then the minnesota vikings at seven with the uh, philadelphia eagles and the new orleans states close behind with seven and seven records i know that the eagles right now they kind of strung together some solid wins four and one in their last five games are you buying that they could be in the playoffs come january Oh,
1: um, i'm not i think that it will was- Story for Eagles fans, but I don't. I think this thing might run out. Um, I don't necessarily know who they have left on their schedule, but I think that they have a couple other divisional games remaining. Yep, it's and, all divi-
0: I'm sorry to interrupt. It's all division. They got Giants, uh, Washington, and then Dallas.
1: So I'm honestly, I could really legitimately see them only winning their game against the Giants because they game against Washington this past week. They didn't have um, Taylor Heineke at quarterback due to COVID. And we all know Dallas is the best team in that division. And, yes, they're struggling right now offensively. But they have a solid defense that's been carrying them. And I think that maybe around the time that last game of the season hits, that offense picks up some of the that is lost. And we could be looking at a completely different team.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you on that. I'm not really buying it either. I think that, like you mentioned, I mean, it was not exactly a runaway victory um, against Washington. And Washington – was without, like you mentioned, Taylor Heineke, and I think it's just going to get tougher. Um, I'm interested to see what Jake Fromm is going to be able to do for the Giants. I think that even when he came in in, uh, instead of Mike Glennon, he had a really nice production on his last couple of drives. So I'm excited to see what he'll be able to do. Like you mentioned, Dallas is going to be a force. They're going to run away with that division. So I'm not really buying it either. I don't trust – Jalen Hurts enough nor do I really trust that secondary enough to really be able to carry the load plus I think that the Minnesota Vikings have potential to sew it up as well as I'm not the team that I would have really thought about but the San Francisco 49ers are looking really good and then I think the Saints defense can propel them to that seven seed as well so I just not don't have as much faith in the Philadelphia Eagles as many people seem to. But speaking of not having faith in things, we talked about it last week. Urban Meyer was fired from the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, of course, it's always drama when it comes to him. Um, now, after admitting that he was heartbroken by the decision to fire him, he did speak out on the claims of kicking Josh Lambeau and said, it was like, wait a minute, where is this coming from? I've certainly made a few mistakes, but those weren't. Those weren't right. I don't necessarily believe that, but who cares? But then he also talked about more so about him being fired and made a comment such as society has changed. I think everything is so fragile now. That includes coaching staffs. So before we talk about potential candidates for Jacksonville's head coaching spot, do you think that uh, Urban Meyer has a point with referring to, I guess, for lack of a better word, the sensitivity of people now?
1: In time as far as a lot of things, but I also think that you can't just use that as an excuse to say, like, hey, I kicked the player. Like, even in any generation of time, I feel like physically putting your hands on another human being, that shouldn't be warranted. Because the way I see it is, okay, you put your hands on him. He didn't he doesn't have the opportunity to put his hands back on you because you're a coach.
0: Right.
1: So I I do agree that we're in a softer time with a lot of things, but I don't I don't necessarily like the pretense that he's using it under saying oh, talking about kicking Josh Nambo. because the way I see if you want to kick me, that's fine, but let me have the opportunity to kick you back. And yeah. like we good. So.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that we all know that the NFL is for lack of a better word, softer than it has been in years before. I mean, that's just going to happen with time and um, with getting new technology and new rules being put into place. But, yeah, no, Urban, like, that's not an excuse. And then I guess using that as an excuse to to berate his coaching staff as if he was not the person who picked his coaching staff. So you can't blame those people just because they don't like your method thing, especially because your method isn't working. You're losing games. I mean, right now the – Um, Jacksonville Jaguars have the number one overall seed and sure you can't blame him for their last loss but even still I mean Urban Meyer put them in a deep enough hole to begin with so no I don't think that he can really use that as an excuse for why the team is struggling or why he lost his job it's just you were not a good NFL coach and people did not buy into you and now you're gone but let's talk about who the Jacksonville Jaguars could potentially buy into if you're Jacksonville who would you want as your new head coach
1: Basically, given the fact that the future of their franchise is a quarterback, and he's been a really good coach that develops quarterbacks. I also like the name Eric enemy I know that he's getting he's gotten a short end of the stick <laughs> numerous of times.
0: Especially last um, year.
1: Yeah, I, he's gotten a short end of the stick numerous of times. Not actually, I would hate to see it because it, I think it would be a difficult team to, like, just jump into. But I think that he could do some good work with them in um, Jacksonville.
0: I'm going to go with the weird – not a weird one, but I guess a not as expected one. But I'm going to say Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator for the um, Dallas Cowboys, a.k.a. former quarterback, Boise State fame, all that good stuff. The reason why I say him is because you're just – you just came from a quarter, I mean, not quarterback, back, but a head coach who was setting his ways. And he had – To his credit, he did have a lot of success in college, but comes in the NFL, that's a whole new monster. Kevin, Kellen Moore is still relatively young. Like, I'm looking it up now, but I know he can't be older than, like, maybe 32. And I think that sometimes... He's. I know he's got to be young because he was in college not too long ago. Yeah, he was born in 1988. He's 33. But, like, the thing about Kellen Moore is I think that what will make that work is because Jacksonville has a relatively young team. And I think that because they have such a young team, I think that they need someone who they can help, they can all grow together. It'll be a learning process for everybody as opposed to getting somebody in who's already pretty set in their ways. Also, not to mention, Kellen Moore is very good at his job. I mean, he's played a big role in the success of Jacks. I mean, not Jacksonville, Dallas and their offense, particularly with the growth of Dak Prescott. And I think that with him being there, I think that it'll usher in a new era in Jacksonville. And I think that it will be a really nice way to kind of wash out the taste of Urban Meyer. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I think that giving him that opportunity I think that it could of the options for the long term. I think that it's I think it's the best course of action. But speaking of courses of actions, not everybody is in agreement with how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have handled the Antonio Brown situation. If you guys remember a few weeks ago, it was announced that AB was going to be suspended the next three games for having a fake vaccination uh, card. Um, he was suspended for the last few weeks, not to mention he was already hurt. And then questions were coming to Bruce Arians, the Bucks head coach, about whether or not they were going to keep him. And he, pretty mom, said, we'll see. Now, with Chris God went out and other injuries to the position, he spoke on the return to Antonio Brown, and he said, I could give a crap what they think. Only thing I care about is this football team and what's best for us. Essentially, A.B. is going to come back whether you like it or not. So, Ethan, in your opinion, are the Bucks wrong for bringing back Antonio Brown
1: no I mean I agree with Bruce Arians his his job is not to, to outside people's opinions and outside people's opinion on um, thoughts his job is to win football games they have a slew of injuries at the wide receiver position and Antonio Brown is a capable body that they can bring in to help with that help what they need he's proven that he can be productive on the field uh, yes, I, I would view these differently if they had the full roster of receivers that they had originally stated even when A.B. was there. But now that they got a bunch of injuries, you have to because they're in the playoff front. They're trying to win a Super Bowl, and you need as many capable bodies as you can to get, achieve that goal.
0: Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. Like, while I may not, you know, like exactly what A.B. did, I mean, this is a business, and in order for a business and in order to be a successful one, you have to have winning players, and Antonio Brown is a winning player. He played a big role in that Super Bowl run, had a really good game in the Super Bowl, and you lost arguably one of the better receivers in the league in Chris Godwin, and so because of that, you have to fill up that loss. And rather than going to look on the street and try to find a free agent, you already have one of the more talented uh, receivers in the league. And one could argue he was playing better than Chris Godwin earlier on in the season. I mean, A.B. was playing great, and so I think that he'll be excited to get back out there, which is going to make the team better. So, no, I don't think that Bruce Arians is wrong. I get it. Like I said, personally, yeah, it's not exactly the best decision, but if you want to keep your team winning, there's really no other option. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. I mentioned Tyler Hunley earlier. And it seems like after Sunday's game, he was getting mentioned by quite a lot of people, starting with Hall of Famer Charles Woodson, who said, take the number off Huntley and you can't tell the difference between he and Lamar. ESPN also has some comments about him, such as Mike Greenberg, who said, there aren't 32 better quarterbacks in the NFL than he looked yesterday. Like I mentioned, did have a pretty good game, almost went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. So believable or buffoonery, Tyler Huntley will be an NFL starter next season.
1: 100. Um I think that I think that he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong, but I think he's a good backup quarterback. And I also think that he's a good backup quarterback in the sense that he's in a good system in Baltimore that kind of fits his talents. Because the honest truth is his talents are very similar to Lamar Jackson. So they're essentially the same quarterback but ones at a greater, a higher level of skill level, like I think Lamar Jackson is the highest skill level at least at the present moment for two or three quarterbacks, and I think Ty, um, what's it,
0: Tyler, what's his Tyler? Huntley. Tyler,
1: Tyler Huntley, is a couple steps beneath him. But given the fact that they probably they're in a similar offense, that can look he can look really good, and I. I don't want people to overreact, but let's not forget Matt Flynn had a game where he threw probably, what, 400 yards against the against the, um, the Lions one Six year? Six or seven
0: ended. touchdowns, got paid by Seattle, and then a few months later, Russell Wilson Russell is starting Wilson. quarterback.
1: So, yeah, I'm definitely calling Buffonner. I'm
0: I'm going to say believable. Now, do I think he's going to be a starter throughout the whole year? No, but he is a free agent after this. And I think that if he, his agent can really hype him up. Because, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, the quarterback class isn't that great. I mean, aside from some potential veteran quarterbacks who could be on the move, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, um, just to name a couple, and Deshaun Watson, of course, it's a bit of a drop-off. And so if a team is really ready and that desperate for a quarterback and want to change, I could see him getting a call. Because, I mean, let's be honest, with the performances that he's had, somebody is going to be interested. And so with that being said, I really think that, I really think that um, Tyler Huntley is going to get some looks. Will they be warranted? Will he be thriving a full season as a starter? I don't know if I'd go that far. But he has shown some capabilities. So if he can get around the right system, it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing for him. Speaking of a team that has only had things going wrong, the ten, the Houston Texans let's be honest, are one of the worst teams in the league. And they've struggled a lot in David Culley's first year, 3-11 and as of right now, which surprisingly is not the worst record in the AFC South. Still, there is a potential chance that he could be fired after just one year as the head coach. So, believable or buffoonery, David Culley should be fired by the Texans. Uh,
1: I'm calling buffoonery on this as well. You're going to fire this man and you don't even have a competent NFL right to see how good of a head coach he is. Granted, I know that there's something that you can't really – like, he's going to take the blame because they aren't winning games. But, to me, the, the honest truth is you don't have Deshaun Watson. You don't have competent receivers. Um, You have some okay running backs. But, like, their overall roster is so, is so void of talent. You aren't. You shouldn't have went into this season really expecting to win that many games anyway.
0: Yeah. No. I actually I am agreeing with you. I, I'm gonna call him buffoonery. If anything, I think the front office made more mistakes than David Cully. Don't get me wrong. When Cully was signed, he was not exactly my pick for a head coach but I mean I think that because of his maturity and how long he's been in the league I understand why they would go in that direction but the problem is the Houston Texans are a directionless team they have no clear-cut way that they are going and unfortunately they don't have a roster that seems like is going to stay intact for the next few years. So, like I said, i put more blame on the front office than David Cully, because, I mean, David Cully is just working with what he has, which is nothing. Uh, Keeping things in the AFC South, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor was your MVP, and same could be said for Darius Leonard, his teammate, who said there is absolutely no question he is the MVP. So, believable or buffoonery, Jonathan Taylor is the undeniable MVP of the league.
1: In my mind, yes he is. Um, I think that if you and I'm viewing this under the prism of if you remove Jonathan Taylor for the coach this year, they would not be in the same position that they are now. I think that if you remove any of the other front runners for um for for M V P like if you remove Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and you replace them with another quarterback, they could potentially still be in good positions to make the playoffs. I think if you remove Jonathan Taylor from the coast, they aren't sniffing the playoffs at all.
0: I agree with you on the Tom Brady front, but Aaron Rodgers, I know it wasn't a big taste of life after Aaron, but Jordan Love just did not look ready. And I think that Aaron Rodgers, and if we're talking the most valuable player, I think if then it would have to be Jonathan Taylor just because, like you mentioned, the Colts would not be in a playoff position without Jonathan Taylor in their lineup. However, the same argument could definitely be made for Aaron Rodgers too because one could argue he's having it even better this year than he did last year. Personally, I would give MVP to um, Jonathan Taylor, but I think that if anybody else had an argument, it would be Aaron Rodgers. So I can't use the word undeniable, but Jonathan Taylor, that's a bad man right there. Well, speaking of a bad thing, let's go ahead and talk about the Las Vegas Raiders, who did pull off the win over the Cleveland Browns last week, which brought some excitement to Derek Carr, who who talked about his doubters to NFL Network. Steve White, who said, they're planning my future and everybody's future. I don't think we're done yet. Maybe not. As of right now, they're on the outside looking into the playoffs. I want to say they're the ninth seed, eight or ninth seed. So, believable or buffoonery? The Las Vegas Raiders will make the playoffs. I'm calling buffoonery. I'm calling buffoonery for the simple fact that
1: the AFC, it's a tough division, and you have a lot of teams that are on an uptick that are ahead of you, like, for instance, the Cincinnati Bengals, and you could be in a fight with teams in your division like the Los Angeles Chargers. I don't. I just don't see them making a cut once the once the playoffs.
0: No, and I'm just – I'm not drinking it. Also, another key injury was uh their starting safety. Jonathan Abram is out with a hurt shoulder, which sucks. I like Jonathan Abram. But, yeah, no, I don't see it. I mean, their offense has too many struggles. They're a wildly inconsistent team. And, if anything, this is the perfect time of year to be consistent and get things going. So, nah, call them buffoonery. All right, I mentioned uh the Chris Godwin injury earlier, and I'm going to mention it again. Tom Brady went on a tear speaking about defenders – Um tackling receivers at the knees and said that the NFL should eliminate those tackles, Um, overall make it a penalty, to which he got blowback from current defensive players such as as Michael Parsons that said, LOL, so let's stop playing tackle football. Adrian Amos, safety for the Packers, said, I don't think people understand how hard it is to tackle running full speed with having to make sure you don't hit the receiver high, all while they're ducking their head, which I understand their argument. So believable or buffoonery, the NFL should penalize hits to wide receivers' knees.
1: it but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if you only, you want them to, you want to hit them, if you only want to hit them up high, like like you stated, receivers duck their head now, so then you can potentially get targeting calls because you accidentally hit them in the head. So it's like, you're only limiting the target window for a tackle to be made. And it's very difficult to do because you're doing it against the best athletes in the world. So, I think I just don't agree with it. I understand that it produces some; it might produce an injury, but I just don't. I as an overall tactic, I don't think it's a good. It would be a good decision because it it limits the product of the of football because you're only going to see people tackling. Like, who's to say? You know, you have a. I'm trying to think of a big receiver. You have a guy like Mike Evans.
0: You? Or yeah, Mike
1: Evans. but they're bigger dudes, and you have a DB. They might not necessarily be able to bring them down for if you hit them up high. And the only way they can bring them down is if you hit them down low. So, like this limiting options for players, and I think that's just a bad idea.
0: Yeah, I'm saying buffoonery as well because pretty much where are you going to tackle somebody if you can't go low, you can't go high. And you're, it's rare you're going to hit him in the torso. So it's just not – I I understand Tom's frustration with it, but then again, Tom Brady is only upset about it because it affected him directly. If this would have happened on the opposite sideline and the Saints receiver would have got hurt, he wouldn't say anything. But when he's losing one of his best receivers for the rest of the year, of course he's going to be pissed off. So, yeah, I'm saying buffoonery. I understand – you want to prevent injuries, but in football, injuries can happen all the time. There are so many non-contact injuries in all of sports. So, yeah, no, I'm calling buffoonery. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our Week 16 game picks. Starting off with tonight's game, your Tennessee Titans are hosting the San Francisco 49ers. This is tough, but I'm going to go 49ers just because I don't know who I trust on the uh Titans' offense to keep up with Debo and George Kittle. I respect it. All right. Uh, Green Bay Packers versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Packers. Packers. Indianapolis Colts versus the Arizona Cardinals. Right now, I'm not really feeling the Cardinals too tough. I got Colts. I got Colts. Uh, Detroit Lions versus the Atlanta Falcons. You can call it an upset, but I'm going Lions. Yeah, I think I'm
1: around with the Lions
0: too. Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants. I got Eagles. Eagles. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the New York Jets. Two underwhelming rookie quarterbacks. First two quarterbacks selected. I remember before the season started, you mentioned this was one of the rookie matchups you were looking forward to. I'm sure that's probably not the case anymore. I got Jags.
1: I got Jets, and it's definitely not what I'm the case anymore.
0: All right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Carolina Panthers. Depleted receivers are at all. I'm still taking Tom Brady in a revenge game. Damn, you had to think about it. You got a lot of faith in Cam Newton. All right, uh, Los Angeles Chargers versus the Houston Texans. I got Chargers. Chargers. Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots. I think the Bills get the Patriots this time. I got Pains. Los Angeles Rams versus the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going Rams. Rams. Baltimore Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going Ravens. Ravens. Seattle Seahawks versus the Chicago Bears. I got Seahawks.
1: Yeah, I got Seahawks.
0: Denver Broncos versus the Las Vegas Raiders. This is a bit of a toss-up, but I'm going to go Broncos. I got Raiders. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Chiefs. Yeah,
1: I got Chiefs.
0: Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington football team in Sunday Night Football, a game that definitely should be flexed. I got Cowboys. I got Cowboys. All right, Monday Night Football, hopefully this will be the only one. Uh, Miami Dolphins versus the New Orleans Saints. I got Saints. I got Dolphins. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the offensive, defensive, and rookie players that we are watching. Offensively, I'm watching Tyron Brady. Like I mentioned, this is a perfect chance to avenge his poor performance this past week. Personally, I do think that the – Uh, Panthers defense is not a bad one they have a lot of talent there but unfortunately I think that Tom Brady is going to make it his mission to pick them apart
1: for me offense I'm going to be looking at Russell Wilson his name this is his first losing season since he's been in Seattle and his name is in a lot of headlines and I just want to see how he's going to be able to bounce back after um, taking a pretty tough L last week
0: and fun fact: This is his first losing season since his sophomore year at North Carolina State, which I think was like 2009. So that man is a winner. So this is this is a weird year. Uh, for defense, I mean, I I gotta go a specific unit. I'm gonna say the Ravens secondary. I mentioned it earlier last time Jamar Chase played Baltimore. He had over 200 yards, and we had our best cornerback out there. Ravens, if you got a double team or triple team, whatever you got to do, you got to keep him intact because if you keep him in control, we can win this game, especially with Lamar coming back. So Baltimore's secondary is definitely the group I'm keeping my eyes on.
1: For me, defensively, I am going to be looking at a unit as well. I'm going to be looking at the Tennessee Titans front. I'm not even going to say front seven necessarily. I'm going to say the front four. Yes, they have Debo Samuel and George Kittle. But the San Francisco 49ers, they love to run the ball. They're a run-heavy team. And I think the strength of the Titans this season has been slowing down the run. And if you're able to slow down the run, you can get some pass rush on George Kittle. And we both – I mean, not George Kittle. Jimmy G. And we both know once you get a couple hits on Jimmy G, you basically won the game because he's going to be rattled. So I'm going to look at their unit.
0: Uh, all right, moving on to the rookie we're watching. This was tough, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say with Baltimore, I'm going to say Odafe Owe. While the Bengals have definitely had an improved year, their offensive line still has some problems. And if Baltimore wants to take uh, the Bengals off pace and help out their secondary, they have to get pressure on Joe Burrow. And Odafe has done a really good job of that. I know that most of the talk is still around Michael Parsons, and rightfully so. But I think that he could play a big role in getting this front seven um, rolling.
1: quarterback Mac Jones of the New England Patriots. You're in the rematch against the Buffalo Bills. A team that after you beat them the first game, they're really pissed off. And in that game, because of the conditions of the weather, you only have to throw the ball three times. I don't think you're going to win this game throwing the ball three times this time around. You're going to have to make plays um you're going to have to make plays passing the football. And his fellow teammate, Christian Balmore, defensive tackle, I think he's going to have to, you know, get a couple of rushes up the middle and get a couple of hits on um, on Josh Allen to disrupt their offense and get them out of their normal schedule plays. And I think that's the key to them getting a the victory.
0: I feel you on that. All right, so team we're calling out, obviously Baltimore. Let's just handle our business. Go, on. Let's just handle our business. Make it out alive. That's all I ask
1: for. Just supposedly we're getting A.J. back this week, and I, I think they said Julio might be still able to play even though he was injured last week. I just, we just got to get a dub because the AFC is an incredibly tough division, and it's like with each loss, you basically move down a slot in the um, playoff standings.
0: Yeah. It's it's tough. The AFC is much more complicated than the NFC right now. Usually it's that's the it's the other way around. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this week's action?
1: Top three takeaways are um let's just give a round of applause for all of the um the perseverers in the NBA right now. We have Joe Johnson return, he made his return last night at forty years old play and actually returned to the team that drafted him by the box in the Boston Celtics. He got a bucket or two there. Isaiah Thomas made his return to the NBA for the Lakers and outside of the game against the Suns, he looked like he could be a really productive player still. And we had, you know, Lance make 'em dance, born ready, Lance Stevenson returns to the Atlanta Hawks. So as a basketball fan, I'm just happy to see some of these, you know, OGs and kind of forgotten S players make a return. Um, number number two, I think the the bad what's going on from bad is getting worse for the Los Angeles Lakers. They were already a team that weren't looking too great, and now that they're going to be without Anthony Davis for I think up to four to six weeks with a MCL sprain. They're going to be in a tough stretch. And it's bad because now you're putting more pressure on LeBron, who you already were relying heavily on to begin with. And number one, man, the Phoenix Suns play a beautiful brand of basketball. They play team defense, they move the ball. And it's like everyone knows what their role is and how to feel their role. And I think it's really only a handful of teams in the NBA that can say that they have their continuity. In in that sense,
0: you buying them going back to the finals? No, <laughs> but they look good right now. They
1: look good, but I, my money, as far as the finals in the Western Conference, I'm put if I were a big man, I'm putting everything on Golden State.
0: Yeah, I mean, likewise, I mean, it's hard to bet against them, especially once they continue to get better and get healthier. But all right, let's go ahead and look at our Mamba players of the week. For me, starting out of the Eastern Conference, I'm gonna show love to Joel Embiid. Um, I know this has been a rough week with regards to COVID and not knowing who's going to play, who has played, but when he has played, he has really dominated. Back-to-back 30-plus games last, um, just a few nights ago, against the Celtics, dropped 41 points with 10 boards, had five assists as well, two seals, really was just doing everything for his team, which he has really been doing for the last season plus, but we're just seeing more and more of that now. Yeah, for me, I'm
1: also going to say Joel Embiid. Um, This man has been on a mission since he's returned from COVID. And like I said, I think that when he's going and he's playing an aggressive brand of basketball, it's no it's no team that can stop him because he's too big and he's too skilled. And he's starting to get back into that groove that he had last year where he was looking like he was going to be the front runner for MVP.
0: I agree with you there. All right, going to the Western Conference, I'm going to show love to a player who does not get much attention. That's DeJounte Murray. I mean, this past week he has had tremendous games. Coming off of a, do- a triple-double against the Clippers, 24 points, 11 boards, 13 uh, assists. Game before that dropped 25. And then game for that had another triple-double against the Utah Jazz. I know that this is not the Spurs team that we're accustomed to. We're just used to them winning and dominating. But DeJounte Murray has really looked like the master class of one of those that uh next generation of player um especially for the san antonio spurs so he's been a lot of fun to watch
1: Oh um, for me out of the west i'm also going to say a very unfamiliar name to me so i'm going to give it to shy gilgers alexander um this man balled out this past week and it sucks because one of his game one of his big games he got taken away because um Devontae Graham decides to hit a 61-foot buzzer beater. But a lot of people fail to realize that before he hit that shot, shot basically hit the game winner, and he got then taken away from him. Then the following, the following game, he had a big game. He hit a game winner against the Clippers. And then just this past, I want to say maybe Wednesday, he ripped my heart out and he beat my Grizzlies, and he had a productive game. So I got a second from
0: love. He had to get revenge for what that what seventy one point loss. Yeah, but he won. He won a part
1: of it, so. No,
0: he had to help his team out. He was like, well, "I'm not. I'm, we're not doing that again." And I understand. You never want to see that again. But all right, so my rookie of the week. Um, This is going to be much more familiar territory. I'm going Scotty Scottie Barnes, continuing to just ball out. I mean, between him and Evan Mobley, it's hard to go against the two with regards to just their ability to play back-to-back 20-point games. Currently on the COVID protocol list, but I mean, it seems like everybody's in COVID protocol. But really just maturing very well and becoming one of the most uh, active players on the Raptors. Uh,
1: For me, I'm going to go with Kay Cunningham. He's continuing to show that The Detroit Pistons made the right decision in making him the number one pick. He's been a productive player ever since he's returned from that injury that he had earlier on in the season. And, yeah, he's just been a – it's like he's progressively gotten better with each game that he's played in.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead. You mentioned uh, some veteran signings early with Iso Joe, uh, IT, uh, Lance um, Stevenson being called up by the Falcons, uh, the Hawks, and even Mario Chalmers is getting another opportunity being signed to the Denver Nuggets uh, G League team. So let's talk about the one who is looking like maybe he'll have a chance. Iso Joe played in his first game since 2018. Um, last night and didn't do too much. I mean, I think he played like a minute and had a couple points. But overall, what do you, let's say he does stay with the Celtics past this 10 day contract, what are you expecting out of him?
1: I'm not expecting too much. I think he could be a good presence in their locker room as far as veteran leadership and being a veteran voice. And I think he could be a guy that, you know, every now, maybe a game or two this season. Or he could turn back the clock and maybe get a 15 to 20-point performance when you might, when you need it most. I could see him kind of playing, being in a similar role like Melo is for the Lakers, where he comes off the bench and he can just knock down shots and you don't ask too much of him.
0: Yeah, likewise. I, I agree with that, especially because, I mean – it's not like they brought him in with the intentions of him being their top guy. We already know that's Jason Tatum's team and then Jalen Brown next in terms of hierarchy. But, I mean, Iso Joe. I mean, he's seen just about everything. He's a seven-time All-Star. Was definitely one of the best offensive shooters um, offensive players in his day So I'm excited to see what he can bring Definitely probably just providing a nice spark off the bench And probably just also just veteran leadership Which I mean you can never really ask for too much of Especially for a team like the Celtics That don't necessarily have, have that Outside of maybe Al Horford If you consider him that But speaking of returns um, prior to joining the COVID uh, protocols, Kyrie Irving began the process to return to the Brooklyn Nets as a part-time player. While he's been met with a lot of me- uh, mixed reactions from pundits and fans, Ethan, what are your thoughts? What are you expecting out of Kyrie now that technically he is back in the fold in Brooklyn?
1: Um, I definitely think it's going to be an adjustment simply because Kyrie isn't. Pro- he probably won't be he's definitely not playing every game because he's only going to be playing games away from the New York area. And that's going to be a drastic change on a night-to-night basis. Like, let's say you have a a three- to four-game homestand and you don't have Kyrie and then you have a five-game road trip and you have Kyrie there. That could fluctuate the way that your record's going to look because in one sense, you're going to be, you could potentially be at full strength in the away games, but at home games, you're going to be partly hindered, and you're going to look like the thing that you've been this this early portion of the season without him. So I think there's going to be a weird thing. I think, Ky- I think once he hits the court, Kyrie's is going to be Kyrie. We all know that he's a supremely talented individual. He he had he plays. The one of the most beautiful brands of basketball I've ever seen, and I think he's going to continue to do that. I think the big thing is just how is he going to get readjusted into that locker room? Like how are people going to get acquainted with him? You have some new guys, with Patty Mills, who's who's been a who's been used to being in the Spurs um, locker room and the way that they run things. You have Paul Millsap, who was from. Denver and Utah, he's used to that way, and you're just going to bring in Kyrie on a part-time basis, and it's honestly just weird just hearing the term part-time basis being thrown around with the NBA, because it's, it's like, this isn't a regular nine-to-five, right. this is one of the greatest career jobs, that you, one of the greatest jobs that you could ever have, being a professional athlete, and the fact that he isn't going to be doing it full-time, that could rub some people the wrong way.
0: Yeah, and kind of in addition to rubbing people the wrong way, I mean, I think that, of course, people talk about the toughness of NBA players all the time now. And I think that this is definitely going to be, you know, an added argument to that because everybody's going to be like, oh, well, we didn't have part-time players in our day, blah, 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 which, to be fair, they didn't. But I think that, I guess, in this circum circumstance, we kind of talked about it with the Bucks and A.B., This is a team that wants to win a championship. They feel like they are a championship-caliber organization, and in order to do that, you have to have your best players. Now, of course, you don't want it to be in this part-time basis that it's looking like it's going to be with Kyrie, but you want to have as many players in the fold that you can get. So from that retrospect, I understand why the Nets agreed to do it. And as someone who – I, I like you mentioned. I mean, Kyrie plays a great brand of basketball. I hope that he can play well um, with basketball. It's different from football. I think that he'll be able to like kind of knock off the rust a bit early. But like you mentioned, what if they have a five-game homestead? What are you gonna do with Kyrie? He's just gonna be sitting around and doing nothing until you guys get back on the road again. And I think that if all you're doing is traveling. I think that that can have a impact on your body. So that'll be something to kind of look out for especially cuz we know that uh Kyrie has an extensive injury history. So that'd be something that I would probably follow. But speaking of injury history, a former head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans had a really interesting tweet made about Zion Williamson, who, as we all know, is going to be out for the next four to six weeks after suffering a setback with his um, injury. And it says, it is unfortunate that Zion Williamson has missed so many games in his first three years. He is a tremendous talent and one of the most exciting players in the league. But keep things in perspective. He has played almost three times as many games as Joel Embiid did in his first three years. That point is true. But do you think that that is enough to change your perspective on some of the injury concerns about Zion, or does that not help?
1: No, it doesn't. It, I mean, the reality of it to me is that, yes, he played more games, but Joel Embiid was – they both had a similar issue. Of they both needed to get in better shape. I think the difference with Joel Embiid was he already had some injuries that impacted him – once he got, uh, before he got in the league, I think Zion, he had a couple, but I think the big thing with him is like seriously managing his weight. And Joel Embiid now, he's better about it, especially now that he has Doc Rivers as a coach and he holds him more accountable. I don't really think that Zion has the coach and the people around him is necessarily holding him accountable. And I also think that everyone knows that Zion actually wants to leave the Pelicans, so I think that this might be playing a part in that as well. Whereas Joel Embiid, he he never wanted to leave. He doesn't want, at least for the time being, and for in the past, he never wanted to leave Philly. He wanted to grow, he wanted to grow with those guys and win the championship with those guys. Whereas Zion is like, I wanna, I wanna go to greener pastures.
0: Yeah, and I mean. Like you mentioned, there's really nobody really holding him to that same level of accountability because, I mean, Willie Green just got there. He doesn't have much of a leg to stand upon. The front office has not done much to really instill much confidence and faith with regards to the team. Not many veterans there, at least who have been there for a while. So it's really just Zion as really the head honcho um, with regards to being – selling tickets to being the franchise at this point but like you mentioned he really doesn't want to be there because I mean he knows as much as everybody else you're not really going to win much in New Orleans and I think you really hit it on the head with regards to Joel Embiid was because he wanted to be in Philly he did whatever it took to make sure that he stayed in Philly whether that be changing his diet or just trying to get healthier changing his patterns which yeah he still has injuries from time to time but He wanted to make the change, and I don't think Zion does want to make that change. So I agree. I don't think it really changed my perspective either. But speaking of things not really changing, COVID um, after last season seemed to be a thing that the NBA had done a better job of controlling. But since loosening regulations, quite a few players have joined um, the COVID protocol list. I believe the number was up to like 80-something. I don't have it in front of me. But it seemed like almost every player or at least big name player player was put in the COVID uh, protocols at some point. Um, Joel Embiid, one, like we just mentioned, is one of the most vocal players in the league and talked about it. He said, we all got to protect each other, whether it's wearing masks, making sure whatever you do out of basketball, that you think about your teammates, their family or your own family. It does suck. Uh, but from the beginning, even when it hit us, I was mad because I thought last year there was a great precautions in place and this year it was just all over the place and I just thought it was unprofessional. That's where we are now. Um, in addition to that, more questions have become about how to do it. Do they bring, do they put the players back in the bubble, which players like DeMar DeRozan have already publicly said he doesn't want to go the, back to the bubble And even um, another idea was kind of considered, such as allowing players who test positive for COVID but are asymptomatic to continue playing and avoid entering protocol. Needless to say, quite a few different ideas have been bounced around. Ethan, what do you think the NBA should do to kind of help stop the progression of COVID?
1: I have no clue because it's difficult. Because the big thing about it is there's so many people that are contracting COVID, that don't show symptoms and so they don't know that they have it. And like, I feel like the bubble could be the easiest, most effective route. But we like hearing the way things were in the bubble for players, like do you really wanna put them through that again? And also a big thing is, like, we've been in the the thick of having fans back in sporting events. I personally have gone to, I want to say, like, maybe 10, 10, 10 Grizzlies games this year so far. And it's been an amazing thing to be able to go back to the arena and see all the players and just see them feel the energy from the crowd. And I'm just going to say, I don't know. Like, I think it's a difficult thing because you're dealing with a virus, and
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a wrong way to deal with it. Personally, I don't think that they should allow asymptomatic players to keep playing only because they could still spread it, and then the person, who's to say that the people they spread it to won't, will be asymptomatic as well. I don't think that's a good idea at all, because that's, if anything, that's just making it worse, but um. With regards to, yeah, I mean, because the thing is, there was talks about potentially pausing the season, but, I mean, that would help hurt them financially. Then they have to try to redo the whole season, which I don't think they want to do, especially if this seems like a bit more of a temporary thing that will stop in the next few weeks. Well, you don't want to miss out on millions and millions of dollars to put the season on pause. And then with the bubble, I think that while the bubble kind of would be like the safest bet, I have yet to hear any player who's talked about the bubble talk about it in a positive way. It seemed like everybody hates the bubble. And then, as you mentioned, like as a fan who attends these games, and I know how much you love the Grizzlies, it would suck that you just got the opportunity to see your team again, and now it's all just taken away. So, I don't know. I don't really think – I don't really know what the NBA should do because it's frustrating because, I mean, COVID is everywhere. It's not like it's exclusive to just the NBA. But because it's a game and because there's so many games – and everybody's around everybody it's very rare that you know nobody's going to be on the basketball court wearing a mask so I really don't know what they should do either but I think that they'll figure it out mainly because they don't want to risk losing money but speaking of losing money let's go ahead and play believable or buffoonery we're going to start off with My struggling Lakers. First off, like you mentioned, Anthony Davis um, recently got injured. And even before he got injured, this was not exactly his best season. So much so that an um, anonymous NBA insider told uh, Fox Sports Radio that they believe that Anthony Davis could be traded by the trade deadlines with players like Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving available in trade talk. So believable or buffoonery, the Lakers would make the right move by trading Anthony Davis. Buffoonery.
1: I think that the right move, if you were to trade anybody, I hate to say it this way, but it would have to be Russell Westbrook. Yeah, of course.
0: Because,
1: because he just simply doesn't fit with the roster. I know, yes, AD hasn't had the type of season that a lot of people expected him to, but I also think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he he's on a team where he, depending on the night, he might be third fiddle. Like, there's been a lot of times with Westbrook. He still has the ball in his hands, and he makes bad decisions with the ball, and he doesn't give it to people in the right positions that they need to score. And that could be something that affects AD. Um, we know that AD can be – we've seen him for the Lakers be a great player. I don't think the right decision would be to trade him. I think it would be to trade Rush.
0: Yeah, I don't think that – I would use AD as the cop-out in this situation. Like I mentioned, I mean, it's not like he's not the biggest issue. I mean, if you want to talk about the biggest issues, you should talk about what the front office decided to do this offseason. And, yes, it's been a bit underwhelming, but AD, I would say of your big three, he's the only one who I can see still being on the roster two years from now. And so I think that you have to continue to build around him as opposed to just trying to start over, because then you're like, well, who's going to be the next star of the future instead of already having one on your roster? So I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. But speaking of NBA stars and the future of franchises, uh, John Morant made his return to the Grizzlies a few nights ago in their unfortunate loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder, where he mentioned that. Some fans gave him some disparaging uh, words. He said, during the game running down the court, I heard some of our fans courtside tell me I needed to sit back out. People who were chanting MVP a while ago. It's frustrating. Um, In 28 minutes in that game, he scored 16 points, has six rebounds, eight assists, two steals, a block, Um, shot 50% from the field, so not necessarily a terrible game. But as we all know, the Grizzlies have been on a pretty substantial uh winning streak or at least had won a lot of games with John Moran out so believable or buffoonery the Memphis Grizzlies rushed job back too soon
1: no I I don't think they rushed him I mean he's play on the court proved that they didn't he he was an effective player he scored he was efficient in the score and he made some spectacular passes I think it's just the fickle nature of the fans, whereas okay, he comes back one game and one game when he comes back, they lose. And they instantly tear tear him down. Like, no, that doesn't mean that they're rushing back to some. It's the NBA. You can go on win streaks, but that doesn't mean you're going to win every game. And just because he came back, it doesn't mean that they might not have won that game if he was off the court. Because, I mean, if you look at it, that game, you had people, like you had a couple guys that were off I think Dylan Brooks had an off night. Jaron Jackson had an off night, and he got into some foul trouble, and those are things that affect the game. You can't just say, like, they rushed him back or for the fans and say he needs to continue to sit out because, quite honestly, the good for the future of their franchise he's going to require a job to be the best job that he can be, and they they won't be able to make it far without him.
0: Yeah, no, I'm in total agreement with you. I'm saying buffoonery as well. Just because, I mean, yes, the Grizzlies were winning, but there is no question that the Grizzlies would not be in the situation that they are in right now without John Morant. John Morant played a very big role in them becoming a playoff team or a team in his rookie that nearly made the playoffs. They He helped put butts in seats for Grizzlies games. He's made them very exciting to watch. And so just because he comes back and doesn't even have that terrible of a game, but the fact that you lose, you turn on him. I wish fans, sports fans are just some of the most fickle people on earth, and I, I really hate that the Grizzly fans are the ones to like jump in at just because Ja Morant has been such a big part and cause let's be honest while the team was playing well without Ja and Toe, they're not making the playoffs without Ja if they would if his injury would have been worse off and they said he was done for the year, the Grizzlies aren't making the playoffs and that's no offense to the Grizzlies and what they have. It's just without Ja, they don't have that same spark, especially down the stretch of the year. So I'm also calling buffoonery, but moving on to a team that has struggled in stretches, the Minnesota Timberwolves have not necessarily been the best. However, that does not mean that confidence is not still around that organization. In fact, um, look, Late last week, um, Carl Anthony Towns made a bold claim in saying, I'm the greatest big man shooter of all time, fact. Now, five days ago when he made that statement, looking at comparisons and the 695 three-point attempts that he's had, I mean, he's made three 695 three-pointers out of 1,751 attempts, shooting 39.7% from three for his career. In comparison, Dirk Nowitzki has shot nineteen hundred and eighty two um has made those and then out of fifty fifty two hundred and ten and with the 38 percent three-point percentage so realistically believable refunery cat has a claim to being the greatest shooting big man
1: i think he has a claim but i wouldn't go saying it now for one like i personally like their claim is stupid because you might be the greatest shooting big man, but you're still in the midst of your career. Like, who knows what could happen? You could hit a stretch to where you're not making nearly as many shots and your percentage is dip. It's good to say it now. And also, I don't want to be that guy that does this, but I'll give the airs to Dirt because Dirt won a championship as a shooting big. He did something that no one ever thought he could do because. Back in in the days as a big, people wanted you to be in the paint, posting up, you know, doing drop steps, shooting jump hooks, and like dunking on people. And Dirk showed that you could be a finesse big and and score and win a championship. And Carrington the towns is nowhere near that.
0: Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery as well. I think that while he definitely has the potential, and he is. Definitely one of the better big-man shooters that the league has seen. To say that you're the GOAT, that's pretty asinine. Because, what, like you mentioned, I mean, what have you won? Yeah, you're the greatest big-man shooter, but how have you helped your team out? And as of right now, you can't really say that he's done much with it. So, no, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. I think that he has to add more to his resume before we can really put him the greatest anything. But speaking of player who has quite a bit on his resume and is considered by quite a few, the greatest LeBron James, a former teammate, Iman Shumpert in a recent interview had some interesting remarks to say about uh, LeBron following his choice to join the Miami heat, to join a super team with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. He said, LeBron ruined football. He thought he was making it better. I get him. Me personally. I love the NBA for the loyalty that I thought there was. Uh, He basically knocked the fourth wall down. Like the organization, they're BSing. We doing what we want. Great business move for sure. But when you think about it outside looking in, I got people tweeting me right now. They they like literally talking about owners and trades. It's like, bro, y'all aren't supposed to be talking about none of this actually. So, believable or buffoonery? LeBron James ruined basketball.
1: Buffoonery. I think that first and foremost, a lot of people fail to realize that the first super team of this generation was the Boston Celtics. Yes, they might not have come together in the same um the same way that the Miami Heat came together, but they were the first super team. And the reason that the Heat came together was because the one way Chris Bosch and LeBron James, they realized that they couldn't beat them on their own. And they decided to team up I think a the only thing that LeBron did when he joined Miami he, in the fashion that he did was he was the first player that started to initiate that the players have the power to dictate their own features. Um, A lot of times you, you saw back in the day, it kind of was similar to the NFL where players didn't have power in the NBA. And LeBron was, at least in my opinion, the first guy to be like, you know what, I have – I have a choice in the way I want my career to go, and he decided to take it. And it wasn't the normal choice that anyone would have imagined, even me. Like when LeBron did it, I was like, "Ah, oh, LeBron tweaking. Like he's about to go team up with D-Wade and Chris Bosh. That's a soft move. But the reality of it is is LeBron did what was best for LeBron. He didn't run basketball. He just, He just initiated the player empowerment movement that we're in the middle of right now.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think that especially because truthfully, since I personally feel like the KD decision was worse than what LeBron did. And I think that because of that, it's kind of put some things into perspective, like looking at LeBron's situation where what was he supposed to do stay in Cleveland a failing franchise that wasn't getting him anywhere wasn't giving him any help pretty much putting your body online every night but it's not really paying off for anything cuz y'all not winning nothing and then in response to that you're just supposed to stay there and keep keep falling like i don't i don't think that that's necessarily ruining basketball i think that if anything like you mentioned it does a really nice job of helping to instill that no you do have a choice if you don't want to stay with a team that's not helping you or that is not helping you survive or thrive then don't stay there and he made And in my opinion, he made the right choice to leave. And I don't think that's ruining basketball. I think that if anything, it's smart. I think it's putting your career in your hands as opposed to letting other people dictate how your career goes. Because let's be honest, will we still look at LeBron like the same great player that we do now if he would have stayed in Cleveland and not won anything? I think that's something that people seem not to really think about. But all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight, Thursday, December 23rd, the eve of Christmas Eve, starting with New Orleans Pelicans versus the Orlando Magic. I got, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Magic. Why not? I got Magic. Uh, Houston Rockets versus the Indiana Pacers. I got Pacers. Pacers. Atlanta Hawks versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I got Sixers. Uh, Detroit Pistons versus the Miami Heat. I got heat.
1: heat.
0: Washington Wizards versus the New York Knicks. I got Wizards. Knicks. Milwaukee Bucks versus the Dallas Mavericks. I got Bucks. I was going to have the Bucks anyway, but Luka's not playing, so it's definitely Bucks. Yeah, Bucks. Oklahoma City Thunder uh, versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Suns. Suns. Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Utah Jazz. I got Jazz. Charlotte Hornets versus the Denver Nuggets. I got Nuggets. Memphis Grizzlies versus the Golden State Warriors. As much as I want to say Grizzlies, I got to go Warriors. And finally, San Antonio Spurs versus the Los Angeles Lakers. I got Lakers. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the XReport.net, our P for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you wanna say before we close this bad boy out?
1: Um Yeah, go Grizz and get a dove tonight and John Morant, the city of Memphis loves you, bro.
0: Yeah, don't let a couple bad apples confuse you. Um, for me, Baltimore, I know I keep saying we're not going to do nothing in the playoffs, but I just want to make them. I just, if we can make the playoffs and have everybody named Mama out on our roster, I'm I'm proud of that. And then, you know, Lakers, I didn't get my Russell Westbrook jersey yet. So, I mean, y'all can go ahead. At this point, just just trade them. Send, I don't know where you can send them. I don't know who would really make that move. Just trade them. Let's just let's start over. Or we can just, you know what, trade LeBron. If we're getting crazy, just trade LeBron really start the rebuild. Because right now I don't know what we're doing. We're not winning the championship. So I have no clue what direction the Lakers are in right now. But thank you guys so much for listening. Happy holidays for those of you who celebrate. Whatever you celebrate. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you all next time.